All right. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. I am back from a six-week paternity leave. So, Jan, you are the first interview I've done uh, coming back post-paternity leave. So, if I'm rusty, I'm going to blame it on that. But uh, it's great to see you. It's been, you know, six weeks at least. But um, it's great to see you. Today, we've got Jan Young, who uh, works with the Success League um, and has done a number of things in the customer success space over her career. But I would say um, right now, it's... um, a ton of strategy work uh, alongside of your customers, trying to help them build and scale customer success programs. If I had to, to boil it down, is that accurate or inaccurate? Yeah, no, I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, even when we're doing our our um, certifications with CSMs and NCS leaders, it's all about upskilling them to upskill their organizations, right? So, like every and everything across all of it is the. Um, like the the IP that Kristen started that we continue to add to and evolve. I mean, that's what drew me in. And we use that across whether we're doing the coaching, the consulting facilitation, uh, we do like interim leadership, we do the, the courses um, and it it kind of flows across all of it. Yeah. Uh, And that's what drives me. That's why I love it so much. (laughs) I was going to say the the nice part too, is you have a a little flavor of um, something different for, I think businesses, right? So there's um, the coaching side, there's the um, leadership side, and then you've got some of the strategies. So um, nice compliments of each other. Um, so it's been great. How's yeah. how's the West Coast right now this time of year? Uh, we're in fall. <laughs> I don't know. You can, some people might say that there's only fall and summer or something or spring-ish, fall-ish. Anyway, but but you know, for us, it's fall. So I I have a light sweatshirt on right now. I hear you. I might have to take off at some point. But yeah, so nice weather. That's why Los Angeles is easy. As long as you can work from home and you don't have to drive around, yeah. like LA is a very easy place. Uh, I will say we're in fall also, um, but we have like fake fall here where it's like, you know, one day, like yesterday or two days ago, it was like 60 degrees and and felt very fall. It's kind of 50s and 60s felt fall today. It's like 75. Uh, so, you you know, we kind of we're fluctuating right now. We get about like two weeks of actual fall and then it's like our winter. Um, so, you know, South Carolina, um, I will say the, cl- the climate is um, is, you know, not as drastic uh, as other areas. We, yeah. we tend to stay quite warm for sure. Um, yeah. All right. I like to do a couple icebreakers and then we'll jump into um, our topic today. So first icebreaker um, I've been liking to ask is what is a category on Jeopardy that you would just do- like you would dominate from top to bottom? Like what is the category where it's like Jan would just, you know, wipe through all the five or six answers? Oh, wow. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I obsess about a lot of different things. Right. And and I go from one thing to the next. Like there was certainly a time when uh, actually my nickname was Jan on demand because I was all about video on demand when that was the whole emerging new category. And so I, I was literally I was at business school and someone called me Jan on demand and that, <laughs> that stuck because it rang true. And then there was a time when I would have told you that blockchain was everything. Oh man, that's I was, good. I just love emerging tech anyway. And I was really into blockchain for a moment, but um, I don't know. I, I got maybe a little disillusioned with all of the get rich quick schemes that yeah. I talked about. So, um, and, and I'm certainly obsessing about, about CS as a practice, but uh, we've also recently become sort of more, um, Slightly vegetarian. I think we'd call be called pizzatarian. Oh, okay. Anything that isn't vegan that we're eating is pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and um I like it and um so yeah so I so I love sharing you know like recipes and things like that so I get sort of into that so I you know it depends on which moment you catch me I like it though you're it, what, what it screams to me is that um once you find something you like to go deep you know it's like hey yeah. once I find it you know once you find an interest you like to go deep um I think I gave my answer there it kind of rotates between some but mainly I could say probably like early 2000s sports I could probably crush like any I was just like, you know, that was like the stage where I was like looking at like box scores on the newspapers, like every night, like I could, you know, every morning uh, I yeah. could, you know, go do that. So, um, but yeah, I was like that. It's a good, uh, it's been a good question to, to unearth uh, with people. So the, but, but what I got to say though, what I like about Jeopardy is that the answers are questions. Yeah. That really appeals to me because to me, everything is about the question that you ask. Right. Yeah. So. I like it. Um, yeah. I was a staunch jeopardy supporter um <laughs> for a long time like i it was like it you know like we would have it on uh, at my house when i was growing up like years i don't know 10 12 years we'd watch it it was like we'd watch like the nightly news uh wheel of fortune jeopardy all in a row um, so, um all right second one and then we'll we'll jump into uh, the topic for today so um i don't know there's a lot of people you know that's are going on different trips and everything else but what if you so if you couldn't live in los angeles Mm-hmm. where else would you live? Well, you, you know, actually, that is something that we're actually contemplating because we want to live sort of a nomadic life of sorts. Okay. Yeah. We want to spend, because my parents, when I graduated from high school, they sold the house and moved to Seoul, Korea, and they taught at a private American international school. Oh, wow. So it's always been on my bucket list to try and like do some of that too. Right. And then my mom, after that, she lived in Bangkok and, um, so all during college, I got to like go and visit cool. all, not just there in Asia, but all over Asia. It's great. Once you live someplace, then the side trips you do are really oh, awesome, yeah. right? So so that's why we're going to Barcelona and then Lisbon uh, in November, because we want to check them out and see what the scene is like. You know, like what would it be like to, to live there? Yeah. And uh, we also want to check out Toronto, I think, in the spring. Oh, cool. Maybe when it gets a little warmer, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you don't need a parka. But, yeah. Right. So, but, um, but yeah, so that's actually, you know, something that's top of mind for us. And if anybody has suggestions, please DM me on LinkedIn. I want to know. <laughs> That'd be super cool. I've always, um, my wife is in the medical profession and, um, that's like unfortunate for me. Cause I'm always like, we should go, you know, I, I can work remote. Let's go live like somewhere else. And she's like, okay, my medical degree only, you know, is for yeah. America. So like I'm, I'm, I'm but lost, is, but there is traveling nurses. There so, are. Yeah. So, so we could just take the kid, the newborn <laughs> and, and just kind of stay in different places. To yeah. Just, to just bundle up and keep moving. Yeah. Um, that would be a nice, but that's, that's super cool that you're, uh, you all are thinking about that. You know, I think especially in today's world where, you know, working is becoming a little bit more borderless that, um, you know, the options are probably a plenty to go do that. And my wife, I would say the one thing that, um, I've always admired about my wife, she's been, she traveled a bunch when we were in college and kind of post early post-college, you know, went to Europe, went to a bunch of different places. Um, and she always was so like nostalgic of like the old towns and the cities where it's like, yeah. Oh, you stay in the town. And then you like, everything's within walking distance and everybody like knows each other around. It's like, um, the culture and like the, um, sense of like community, like yeah. close, like community, like yeah. on the ground, she just had talked about so much in some of those, those older, uh, more European cities. And that's why I loved living in New York so much. And what was the hardest thing to, to adjust to in moving to Los Angeles, because you could walk to everything or take the subway. And as much as people think like New York isn't a friendly town, it absolutely is. 
Like thing yeah. is in the morning, you'd go to the corner deli. And when you're getting your, your coffee and whatever, like you could join in on whatever conversation was happening in line with, with the person at the register, because there was always some sort of conversation or you could skip it and just be like, no, nah, I haven't had my coffee yet. I'm not going to talk. But yeah. <laughs> it was, anyway. So yeah, I, that's, Absolutely. And I and I get the why I'm a little jealous of you working with a community platform because I love community, right? And and I'm so much about it, whether it's in person or online and just how much it adds to your daily life, you know. So there is I guess that's maybe part of what we're sort of looking for whenever we do start popping around and living in different places. Yeah, there's a there's a cool part that we're gonna come out with soon, just some brand stuff at Higher Logic that um, I'm getting to work on, where it's a lot about um, telling stories of our of the communities that people have built and like some of those. Yeah. So like one for instance that was recent um, that just came to mind is um, there was a, a breast milk shortage or there was a, a milk shortage um, for babies and children, and so there was a community um, on one of our platforms that uh, is called Nanit, and they organized um a sh- like a match and sharing program where people were actually connected to each other to help make sure that um different moms had breast milk and could be able to support their children and, and whatnot and so it's just like a super cool story of like yeah. how community can come you know play a role um and so i'm excited because i think we're going to try and um tell a bunch of those stories which i think is like like you mentioned is, is like the fun part of my job is you get to hear uh, about all these ways that people are implementing community how it mm-hmm. kind of di- takes different forms right some's in person some is in uh online so it's been it's been fun so i think that's going to come out soon which would be cool that would be neat yeah well community is life-changing just when you get down to it it just yeah yeah i am with you so um you had sent over um a post that you had written that to be kind of our, our topic for today to, to um, yeah. sift through and, and kind of be our, our conversation starter. Um, and so I think the, the piece or maybe like the, the thing that um, I feel like I was taking out of what you had mentioned was um, if you kind of broke down what you were saying, and we'll make sure and put the link to the post in the, in the show notes, but um, sales has got sales and marketing. I would probably say over the years have gotten great at um, at least just building models kind of backed with data or being able to present models and data in certain ways that kind of say, you know, whether you believe it or not, hey, we're presenting something that shows numbers and metrics and ways that we can kind of say, okay, hey, you know, uh, we think that this customer is 90% likely to close or this one's 10%, you know, this is, and so I think they've had that maturity of, of understanding, okay, if we can develop this type, these types of methodologies, then we can put our resources against the right accounts in the right time and kind of think about them. Um, and I felt like in the, in what you were mentioning, right. Is that we haven't, we're, we're kind of in that stage now of, of, okay, how do we, how do we apply that to the customer success side? How do we start to get to some of these um, more metrics and numeric ways that we can say, okay, are we making an impact? Um, are we looking at the right customers? And specifically, if you think about kind of like renewals or any sort of um, kind of monetary aspect that customer success can handle, you know, how do we, take some of those things that we've learned in sales and apply them to CS. So I feel like that's where um, your, your post was kind of coming from was that kind of uh, emphasis of like, Hey, we can kind of adopt some of these things on customer success to um, a drive, like the effectiveness, but then B also kind of, again, kind of point back into revenue and say, Hey, we are contributing and here's how we're doing it. Yeah. I mean, that is pretty much it. Like, because my frustration is that, you know, sales has that sales funnel, right? And so you know then that there's a progression. You know, like certainly there's activities that marketing does that's like branding and whatever that is not, you know, measured in as part of that funnel, but need to be there in order to get people interested and starting on their journey in that funnel, right? Yeah. Then Salesforce has created 
you know, these numbers for like based upon who you're talking to, what actions you've taken, if you're at 10% all the way up through 90%, right? And and then I love how you said, you know, if you believe those numbers, because, you know, yeah, they're, they're all still sort of guesstimates. But I have talked to people who have said, you know, wow, it's amazing how accurate it is. Yeah. And you think about too, though, it's like, are, are you talking to the right people, right? Like that's part of it. Like that's part of like what is, is measured. And I think that in that respect, in that respect, if we thought of it as an inverted CS funnel, there are certain stages, especially in the beginning stages, when you're doing uh, onboarding, when you have that sales to CS handoff, when you're doing onboarding, you know, when you're you're trying to get adoption, you know, in terms of those two phases, especially being so important and integral. But then how do you measure in terms of how the customer is performing during those stages? How do you connect that to, you know, later, you know, potential for renewal and expansion revenue? And yet there is an absolute connection. And so in some ways, what I was writing about is that I'm excited that now we have some tools that can actually connect that because you can take all this disparate data that there's no humanly possible way that we can go through and sort it out. But using AI or machine learning, you can, right? And they can say, here's these significant moments that apply to your customer base and your product because it's different for each combination, right? Yeah. But I think it's so critical too because the post-sales motion, you know, like what are you... you're throwing all these other things in that, like what bothered me so much about Jason Lemkin's post is he's saying, oh, you know, CS is gap fillers. And I guess that's what they're destined to be. Like, no, only if you're uninformed, you know, or if you're very early stage uh, CS, you know, if, if you're an early stage, you know, SaaS company, like, you know, seed and pre-A, like everybody's wearing 16 different hats doing a bunch of different things. Right. Yeah. You know, so like then there's a lot of crossover, but but no, I, I think a CS program, a CS team, what their function is, is actually, you know, something that should be very concrete and should not be polluted. And it bothers me instead of being so yeah, much. Yeah. No, people I, are willing to give up on that. Like, no, we're not started yet. Don't, don't give up. <laughs> um, no, I see what you're saying, too, because I think the other the other thing that um, I'm going to say this, I think I believe this, but I need to say it out loud first, but I think what's actually worked against like kind of this customer success realm is is that typically the models have always been built with like a one-to-one approach from the beginning, right? It's always, hey, we get a name CSM. And now you're kind of, I think you're now seeing how that can kind of be a uh, quote unquote, like a gap filler because it like manifests it from, you know, the early seed stage, right? You're kind of filling all these, you are filling a lot of these roles and saying, okay, I'm a little bit of support, I'm a little bit of implementation, I'm a little bit this. And then over time you start to specialize and say, okay, now we do have support, we do have onboarding, we do have you know implementation, we do have CS. And so you're, um, but the reason I, I say that too, is I think there's, um, there are, are aspects that um, you can build like digital and scaled programs from the beginning that can help make sure that you're not yeah. the gap filler, right? Like if yeah. you actually built yeah. those scaled programs at the beginning and said, okay, we've got content for you if you're onboarding, we've got, um, you know, we have um, in-product guides if you're, you know, as you're going through the product for the first time, we've kind of got these things, then you can, I think, continue to make that CS role very specific and discreet and say, okay, you know, you don't have to 
fill these gaps, right? You can actually play the role of, hey, we're we're providing value. We are uh, looking at how do we implement best practices, and we're also you know driving towards this renewal and this revenue um, and relationship building. But I think um, that's also maybe the aspect that I see that's missing a lot is that you know um, I think over time companies have just thought about scaled approaches as like, oh, it only impacts the bottom third of my customers. When really yeah. it's like, no, yeah. it should be the the base. And then because yeah. then it, like I think like you're saying, right? Then it elevates your teams to be having the right conversations and to be pointing and having a discrete set of activities that aren't just, you know, filling in the gaps. Um, It's actually, hey, we're doing this because it's driving towards an outcome, which is going to help us drive towards that renewal. Well, and when you think about it, and if you if you're an enterprise CSM and you're working with an enterprise customer, how many different points of contacts does that enterprise customer have with your organization? Because it's not just you. There's yeah. going to be, you know, there could be, you know, depending on how large your company and their company is, there could be a dozen, right? Yep. But now the tools that are out there that are literally out there now can actually go across all of the Zoom conversations, all of the, your emails, you know, all of these different sources. And come through and say, hey, look at what's happening here. This is this is and also more than just one person and contact in the company so that you can understand what your weak spots are and where your strengths are and and where there's potential opportunities. Right. And that's the kind of thing that is hard to do, because what are we going to do? All get in a meeting and all try and remember every conversation like, oh, well, let me go and find, you know, in that recording where they talked about this. So you can get the right inflection and really understand what they were saying. Like, you're not going to be able to do all of that. Right. But what's great is that these tools actually can pinpoint some of these things. You know, they're getting way better. I mean, part of it is, you know, NLP is getting better, even though what, uh, whenever I'm trying to type, apparently it doesn't know what I'm typing. But, but otherwise, natural language processing is really uh, becoming stronger, at least in picking up sort of intonation, intent, um, and, and keywords and things like that. Um, that, you know, if someone sounds angry, even you can kind of pick up on that, you know, I I just, there's just so many things that are hard to translate. If you're trying to across your organization, gather that information that now is at your fingertips and now can it help prioritize what you're doing. And, And if you're basically sort of messing up, I could use another term for that, but, um, but if you're messing up, right. Um, you, you need to know that and, and unearth that earlier in the process. Don't wait. You know, the other thing, too, is as you're adding, if you're expanding with the customer, they, let's say they renew, renewed and now you're expanding. So now there's a whole new process where you need to onboard that. You need to you know work through the adoption. And if that doesn't go smoothly, then, you know, you, you can either jeopardize your whole relationship or they just drop out and they don't they decide they're never going to expand with you again. You know, things like that. Right. So like all of that is important throughout the life cycle of your of your relationship. And by having these things, they can call attention to what that impact is on your you know, lifetime value and on you know, your expansion, you know, making revenue predictable. Is, is, is really important, even if there's so many CSMs out there who just want to make it all about building the relationship. Like, well, yeah, but we're not just all around here being friends, right? Like the, there's a revenue is the point. And, and revenue is the point for them too. And if you don't acknowledge that, you're doing a disservice to your customer, right? No, you're, you're on mute. <laughs> so I go on mute to like make sure and not talk a lot, but then I forget to take myself no, off. I want you um, to- <laughs> the, um, no, the, your point, 
that you mentioned that I was going to touch on was the predictability part, right? Like at the end of the yeah. day, like we're all here to make, we're all here to drive a little bit more higher predictability and saying, um, do we think this customer, this customer signed with us, are they achieving what they want to? And therefore, are they going to renew, um, you know, and stay with us for longer? And, and we, are we going to keep this uh, relationship going? And that's where I think, you know, to your point, I think you're, you're thinking about, Hey, there's, there's these tool sets now that can go across um, and help us identify okay, where are kind of positive moments, negative moments, and how do we make sure and, and call those out so that we can draw resources and attention to them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I also think maybe like taking a step back for, for CS leaders to think about is like, if you want to drive more predictable revenue, mm-hmm. um, you got to start thinking about, okay, where where are you capturing certain data points right now? Yeah. Um, you know, just in, off the top of my mind, like the places that I look or that I know about, you know, we've got Salesforce, we have um, Catalyst as a customer success tool, We've got Gong where we record calls. Our CSMs um, are doing that. We have a community where we can go look at data. We've got support and some support tickets. Um, And so you start thinking about that, though. If you can actually even just get a picture of that, I think that also helps you go down that path you're talking about, which is, okay, then how can we apply something maybe over top that actually looks across all those? Because what happens now is you have a support leader looking at support data that comes and raises their hand and says, hey, I've had, you know, this interaction with this customer. It might be bad. You know, a CSM's logging it in Catalyst, you know. So you've got kind of like a disparate set. And so you're trying to, to make that, okay, let's create a holistic picture of this um, so that we can address the right things in the right times. Um, and then again, you're applying the resources that you have in the right way. But even expanding on the data sources, there's email, Yep. There's also there's also like their interactions with your finance team for billing. There's you know the, if they're actually logging in and where what parts of your product are they using with what sort of frequency versus yep. what you would expect and what would you would consider to be healthy and and leads towards their success. You know there's all of these different um, types. You know there's sometimes too when we're working with with customers, they have a whole other place where uh, it they essentially set the customer up. And, and so then that has all of the hierarchy information, like, you know, who, who has the rights for which parts of, you know, the platform or, or whatever, you know, they're working in terms of the product or services, things like that. Right. So there's so many different types of data points that you have that it, it literally wouldn't be possible to understand all of that. And so then what do, you know, companies do? Well, they largely rely on the CSM's gut feeling. And the CSM's gut feeling is a very, very small sliver of interactions with a very, very small sliver of people. Yeah. And that's all it is. And it's also can be based upon if that CSM is okay with conflict and difficult conversations or not. And if they don't like that and they don't feel comfortable with that, well, then they make that more on the red side, right? Yeah. <laughs> actually, it could just be that they just need to engage with the customer and they're actually very healthy, you know, or, you know, who knows? Like there's there's so many different factors at play that, that no wonder you have green customers churning, right? Because you're basing it on the small sliver of information. Yeah. And so then the CF team isn't valued. Because the CS team is can't be predictive and is saying, oh no, this, this customer is good. Oh, I'm not sure why they turned. Oh, let me go find that out. You know, or like, yeah. oh, there's all this opportunity. What is our white space? What should we be upselling? Oh, I don't know. Let me go and find out. 
there's so much power that we're missing out on that we could. And that, I guess that's why I'm jealous of Salesforce and all of the other tools. Think about how many MarTech tools there are and other types of of sales tools there are where they get to be so informed and and be predictive in in what their measured activities are and where they spend their time. Yeah, that's and just like a you know personal anecdote um, for us, like when we you know joined Higher Logic, like that was a um, we had a renewals process that um, you know we needed to help up level because we couldn't get kind of ahead of it, right? It was always kind yeah. of a, a this quarter type of thing, and we'd be um, mm-hmm. hunting things down and chasing them, and you know we would send the renewals ahead of time, but it was it was just a matter of okay, how do we how do we um, kind of align the data back and start getting to, I think what you're mentioning, right, which is um, let's get some definitions around, okay, what, where can we put certain people in a 10%, 20%, 70%, 90%, 100% range of like, okay, yeah. do we think this renewal is going to close? Because um, what we tended to find was you'd have, you know, a CSM that had such a wide range where can we even get to all those customers in that quarter? You know, the answer might be no. So uh, we even came in and just, I think, tried to adopt a similar thing on the renewal side to say, okay, this can be the, one of the most impactful things we can do early on because we can tie ourselves to revenue. We can also make the business more predictable, which then helps our executive team and our, you know, our planning teams um, make decisions on hiring, resourcing, technology, like things that we can go do. It creates a lot more flexibility. Um, and so we got the team to buy into that, right? And so, it, but it, like you're saying, right? It, it's um, it takes stages, right? So that was kind of our stage one. We kind of yeah. said, okay, let's do this process. We've got some. Um, now we're getting, you know, two quarters ahead, and so we're kind of saying, okay. Two quarters from now, we can reasonably predict um, what our renewals are going to be, which is great um, for us. Um, but again, we, we've kind of looked at it as like, okay, that was kind of step one. That's kind of using just um, using our human resources to our advantage right now. Yeah. Step two is then, okay, how do we start leveraging the other data points that we do have, right? How do we become more predictive in, okay, we've got these um, interactions, we got community interactions. So how do we start kind of using that data to help us even um, help the CSMs again, kind of spend more time, um, you know, where we need them to. Uh, And that also comes down to like the other thing that this, this also getting back into kind of sales teams and understanding, you know, um, is also understanding. uh, Well, I think, you know, for us, like the, at the end of the day, like the, um, it's like continually getting more accurate and better over time. Right. So like, just like you said, like the, the, our CSMs can provide one layer of context, but we also need to be improving that over time and using kind of the data and the sources that we have available to us to kind of enrich that uh, as we go. And I think, you know, it's like a, it's like a building process, you know, you can't just uh, on day one kind of go to the end. It's always like, okay, how do we just um, build these things over time and get them on a roadmap um, kind of with our, our CS ops team and our technology teams that we have here to say, okay, we do want to integrate these data sources and here's how we want to try and, and kind of improve this over time. Um, so we can get to the right kind of the right space of um, of using that data to our advantage and being able to um, apply the resources to the right accounts kind of at the right time. Um, so, anyways, it's, it was a nice kind of win for us early on. Is that okay? We got something in place now that we can um, build upon and use. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so critical too because. Well, first of all, you want to start thinking, you know, help your team start thinking ahead and in advance, because anytime you can be proactive instead of reactive, you're in a better situation, right? But then also the way that, you know, data and and these tools can help us focus on the things that are uniquely human that humans do is also useful. And that's why even though there are a lot of um, sort of tech touch 
teams. I almost prefer when when you have the opportunity to have sort of intervention teams connected to that tech touch motion, right? So that when you see that like a company or, or, or some folks are, are getting off the path, that yeah, yeah, you can do some one-to-many things. You can send out, you know, emails, you know, to those folks and and, and suggest that they do certain things. So you can, um, you know, basically uh, like do a webinar that's focused for those folks to help them get back on track. And then even at the same time, highlight people who are doing well in that area. And that, you know, gives you a way to bring them in as advocates as well as then help others get back onto track. So it you know, meets all these different needs that you want to do in terms of engaging your community, right? But but if you think about it, that's something that, that humans can actually do something with once, once they have the data and the tools to help them identify that. But then also, if you can, uh, if your, your product and your customer base can support a model, where then you can also have pooled CSMs who can then bring in customers who are off track and say, hey, I'm going to work with you for a week or two weeks, that sort of thing. I mean, that's... Yeah. A- you know, like Brian LaFaya talks about quite a bit, but I, you know, we've implemented with our customers and it has worked really well because that allows for, for pivotal moments to have that human touch and bring them in and then send them on the merry way again and say, Hey, you've graduated. And now you can go back and, and work in with us in one of many ways until you need us again. And then they feel supported and reinforced as well. You know. Yeah, like I, I think about those moments as like the, um, hey, here's you know we would expect a customer of you of you to be here and you're not yeah. yet or, or yeah. you're 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 past it or something right yeah. but like even just giving them a barometer um, there's this thing I took away this was maybe like ten years ago it was like when I first started my career I was listening to a guy um, he was talking about uh, they did an experiment where they went and told people um, Hey, did you know that you're using more water than your neighbors? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all, it was kind of in California and during the drought season, you know, it was all kind of, Hey, we're trying to conserve water. Um, and so they had like two messages. So one was like, Hey, you're, did you know, did you know that you're using more water than your neighbors? The other message was like, Hey, you should help save the environment and use less water. And which one do you think did better was the one that said, Hey, you're using more water than your neighbors. And all of a sudden everyone started, you know, using less water because of mm-hmm. the, that, you know, the community can on you and like your uh, kind of your measuring stick. And so I, I feel like using that for customers is a good thing too. Like, Hey, yep. we would expect a customer your size to be here. You're mm-hmm. not there yet, or you're exceeding it or whatever else. But mm-hmm. um, that also gives you a barometer to help um, kind of hold them accountable, give them, you know, something to go off of. Like you said, Hey, you're not on the right path. We got to put you, um, put you right. So Absolutely. When when I was an individual contributor, that was, you know, we would go around, you know, one time a year kind of thing and do sort of like a road show. But everyone signed up for it because what we were bringing to them was that industry metrics of like, what are other people doing who are doing things well? And how could we improve? And, and that's what we we did it all around was here's here's what's happening in the industry. Here's some updates because we were interacting with them all. And then here's how you're doing. And based upon what your goals are. Are, these are some suggestions and let's have some conversations about what you might want to do with next step. Yeah. And everyone signed up for that. No one turned us away. No one, you know, like we would have huge groups of people. They'd be like, Oh yeah, I told, I told Tom to come in too. It's like, Oh yeah, sure. The more the merrier. They all I, want to hear it. I just saw a, uh, there's a, um, a guy on LinkedIn who runs a website about subject lines. And he just said like the number one performing subject line in Q4 of every year is, blank or like fill in the blank industry report. 
And he said like, that is like number one, because everyone's in the time where they're like, okay, planning for next year. Okay. What's, you know, what's my industry doing? How do I get some insights? And so like, that's, uh, so it's just kind of funny. You mentioned that too. Like that's a, a, a great hook. Um, but all right. Well, just going back though, to, to the Lumpkin gap yeah. building, that's what drives me nuts though. There's so much that we can be doing strategically as CSM. And the fact that we're supposed to be gap fillers instead just takes away all of the power and opportunity of what you can do in that post-sales motion and what you should be doing for a healthy company in a post-sales motion, right? And and so that's to me, like, you know, just, just any of the things we've just been talking about in terms of like what we're trying to do in terms of planning and, and predictability, like that's where we should be. Yeah. And so, yeah. That's a, no, I think it's a good, I was just going to say that. So I think like, if you think about that, um, you know, tying yourself to, revenue and trying to get yourself yeah. close to that. Like it's always going to matter. Um, yeah. I think, you know, another thing that we have talked about is also just um, pointing customers in the right direction, right? Don't be like one way to not be the gap filler is to not like, is to not fill the gap, right? So, Hey, we've got resources <laughs> here. Here's where you can check that out. You know, it's not trying to be rude, but just, Hey, direct them in the right place. Give them the, kind of give them an answer and also showing them the way of like, okay, here's the next time you have this, here's where you can go to get that um, and making like that cycle kind of easy. And I think the third is just, hey, what what data sources do we have available to us where we know um, customer interactions are happening that we can start to kind of catalog them. We can start to really make sense of, okay, um, where are this, the strategic reads uh, or strategic conversations that need to be happening? And how do we make yeah. sure that our our teams are doing more of those? And then we're, we're kind of uh, making sure the other types of questions and conversations are being filled with other types of content, resources, scaled programs, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's all about um, being proactive instead of reactive. Yeah. Um, well, this was awesome. I liked where this ended up. Like this is a nice, like your conversation starter and it kind of got us into a, um, a, a, a fun topic. So Jane, if people want to find more about you and um, any of the work that you're doing, where, where can they do that? Uh, well, I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn because I'm, I'm uh, addicted to the community there. Uh, I try to show up over at Gangro Retain as often as I can because you got me addicted to the community over there. But where I spend my days uh, is really with the Success League. And so you can always uh, reach me at the Success League. Awesome. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, we're going to link all that too in the, in the show notes so people have um, easy spots to get. But uh, I'm excited to be back after six weeks and uh, yeah. I'm going to be seeing you, you know, in our usual circles on LinkedIn and GGR and, um, you know, continuing to hopefully provide some value to the the CS space. But uh, I know you're, you're always in there and about. So um, I always appreciate you, um, you know, spreading comments and uh, posting things and just trying to, to, you know, get people to think about customer success more often. So uh, it's all been good stuff. Excellent. So it's fun to chat. All righty. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you have haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon. Mm-hmm.